special time of, of prayer and blessing. We just want to pray a prayer of blessing over the teachers and the students um, and the parents next week. So make sure that you're here. And uh, actually, I think I forgot my clicker. I'm going to walk over here and grab it really quick. Second announcement I want to make is uh, we're going to be having another discipleship training this Thursday night. If you want to be a part of that, we're going to be practicing quiet time with the Lord. And so that will be this Thursday. We're going to go once a week. We'll be doing twice a week for a little while because we have some other things that we're working on. But if you want to be a part of that, please come this Thursday night. Um, this morning, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to turn with me over to the Gospel of John. Turn with me to the Gospel of John this morning. Um, John chapter 13, to be exact. John chapter 13. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I absolutely love this book. Um, out of all the books of the Bible, John is my favorite book. Whenever I um, am talking to someone who hasn't really read the Bible before and they, they say, well, you know, Tim, where should I start? I always tell them to start in the Gospel of John. It's been said a long time ago that the Gospel of John is shallow enough that a little child can wade into it. And yet, at the same time, it's also deep enough that an elephant can swim in it. It just depends on how deep you want to go. And John is one of the deepest books, in my opinion, in all the scriptures. But the Gospel of John is, is unique for a lot of reasons. It's the fourth gospel. It's the one that was written last. The first three were written prior to, to John. John records several things in his um, gospel that are not written in the other gospels. So there's some very unique features, if you will, some teachings that are not recorded anywhere else. And if you remember who John was, he was the youngest of all the disciples. At the Last Supper, it was John who we see leaning up against the chest of Jesus. He and Jesus were very close. In fact, I love how John refers to himself. The favorite way that John likes to refer to himself in the Gospels, he never refers to himself by name. He always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that amazing? And why is that? It's, it, to me, it's clear. When you read the entire Gospel of John, you understand it's kind of like Paul. Remember, Paul was the same way. Paul got to a point in his relationship with Jesus when he said, you know what, it's, it's no longer about me anymore. In other words, he has become so united in his relationship with Jesus that his own identity or any identity that he ever wanted to have has now dissolved away as he has become one with the identity of Jesus living inside of him. And that's exactly how John is. He doesn't even refer to himself anymore. He just lives his life now in Christ. And that is a very important phrase that you and I are going to be talking about this morning, this idea of being in Christ. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, John, of course, is the one who lives the longest. He outlives all the other apostles. He was the uh, one that's eventually going to write the letters of John. There's three other letters that he writes. He writes 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And then he writes one more very large body of writing in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Um, so he's pretty prolific in terms of New Testament scriptures. Um, another unique feature in the Gospel of John is that to John, being a disciple is all about relationship with Jesus. In fact, when you read the Gospel of John, all the great truths... Uh, in, our, in our Christian faith are personalized in the Gospel of John. Let me give you a few examples this morning. Think about the Word of God. Yes, the Word of God is the Bible, right? It's the book. It's, it's the words that you read on the page. But it's more than that in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, Jesus 
is the Word of God. In fact, he says in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. So in other words, just like the Bible is God in written form, Jesus is God in human form. Does that make sense? He's God in the flesh. Think about our new birth or our salvation. You know, in John, that's not something that you can receive on its own. It's not like salvation is a, um, uh, you know, a, an entity of its own, of itself that you get, right? It's not a perk that you receive because you follow Jesus. No, in John's gospel, Jesus is the new birth, you receive new birth when Jesus comes to live inside of you. It's Him personally living inside of you that gives you that new birth. He says in John chapter 1, excuse me, 12 and 13, Yet to all who did receive who? Him. To those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. I think about eternal life, another big feature in our Christian faith, eternal life, going to heaven. Most of us, most of us have been raised to believe that heaven is something that you receive one day when you die. Eternal life is something that you hope for in the great by and by. One day when I die, my prayer is that hopefully that I'll be able to go to heaven, right? But in John's gospel, that's not the case. In John's gospel, Jesus is eternal life. And you receive eternal life when you receive Him. Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. Whoever has the Son, say it with me, has life. In other words, eternal life is not something that begins when you die. Eternal life is something that you are supposed to experience beginning right here because of Jesus Christ. Think about sanctification. What happened there? Let's go back. Okay, think about sanctification. Think about this, the sanctification. Sanctification, what is that? It's the transformation, right? As we grow in our walk with God, every day we become more and more like Jesus. Well, sanctification is not, again, something that you receive that's outside of Jesus himself. It's something you receive when you receive him. So if you want more transformation in your life, if you want to see more sanctification in your life, it's all about more relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is your sanctification. John chapter 14, verse 10. The Father who dwells in me does the works. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that the same way it was for me is the same way it's for you. He is the one who does His works in me, and I'm the one who's going to do my works in you. Jesus is the key. And we could go on. You know, I think about in the Gospel of John, you have all these I am statements. And again, he personalizes everything. Think about the I am statements of Jesus. Jesus says, I am what? The bread of life. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. See, in the Gospel of John... All the great truths are personal because why? It's all about Him. He is the truth. So if you want to know truth, you have to know Jesus Christ. Now, to me, the most unique feature in all of the Gospel of John is that John, out of all the Gospels, focuses on those two things that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. In the Old Testament, when you come to the very end of the book of Malachi, it sets up two great expectations. Do you remember what those were? The first expectation is that God is going to send the anointed one, the Messiah, 
And secondly, he's going to, through the anointed one, bring the anointing, right? The pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all of God's people. Well, guess what? John's gospel is written in part to show you that he is the fulfillment of those two things. Number one, that it, it, John shows you who Jesus really was. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the one that was prophesied about. He is God in the flesh. And secondly, what did Jesus actually come to do? He came to bring the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show you in John's gospel in just a moment where he talks about this explicitly, and it's found nowhere else in Scripture. In fact, let's go ahead and go over there right now. Turn your Bibles over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And I'm going to take you into what is probably the most holy place of Scripture. In fact, here's what I like to call it um, whenever I, I teach this. I like to call John chapters 13 through 16 the holy place of Scripture. And I'm telling you, when you read it, you're going you're gonna to know why. It's almost like you get there and you want to take off your shoes because what you're reading feels very much like holy ground. So John chapters 13 through 16, we might call it the holy place. John chapter 17, I like to call it the holy of holies. Again, I won't get into it just a moment, but you'll find out here why in just a moment. Now, scholars will tell you that this discourse that takes place, it takes place in an upper room. Most likely, it was the room of the house of Mary, the mother of Mark. This is right after the Last Supper. This is right after Jesus has had his Passover meal. Let me give you the context. If you remember, right, after the, uh, right uh, before the Passover meal, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. They've had the meal together. And now Judas has already betrayed Jesus, and he's already left. Okay? So Jesus is now alone with his disciples, and this is the last time that he's going to be with them before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and before he's crucified. So what he's about to talk about with his disciples... Imagine if you had no time left and you had the most important thing you want to share with somebody before you die. John chapters 13 through 17 is it. This is the most important things that Jesus wanted to share with his disciples before he died and before he left. Now, what the, the interesting thing about this upper room is, is that if the scholars are correct and if Jesus is having this conversation in this upper room, then most likely this is the very same place about 50 days from now where those words are going to be fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. So everything you read in John chapters 13 through 17 is in preparation, not only in words, but also in the very place where these events are going to happen, where God is going to pour out His Holy Spirit and fulfill that second great expectation from the Old Testament. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about the Gospel of John one more time. And this is a very important feature because something very important happens in John chapter 13. When you're reading the book, and if you sit down and you read it in one setting, there is a big shift that happens in John chapter 13. John chapters 1 through 12, you could say it, it's about the life of Jesus. Story after story after story, showing you the life of Jesus. Things that he did, things that he said, showing you that he is eternal life. But when you get to John chapter 13... John takes you deeper. He takes you very deep. In fact, he takes you so deep that he's going to begin talking about the inner life. And so you could sum up John chapters 1 through 12 as the life of Christ. John chapters 13 through 17 is life in Christ. And there is a difference. Now, we're not going to take the time to read all of John 13 through 17 verse by verse. I would love to, but I want to encourage you to do that. Sit down in your own devotional time. Read it in one sitting, okay? Read it several times. 
because there are so many blessings here that we just can't bring out in one, two, three, four, five sermons. You just can't do it. But, but here's what I want us to do. Over the course of the next couple Sundays, we're going to take John chapters 13 through 17, and we're going to summarize the whole thing. Because in this body of Scripture, in this holy place of Scripture, because of what Jesus is about to do, because he's about to die on the cross, because he's about to be victorious over death, because he has done these things, now, once he ascends up into heaven, God is going to be able to fulfill that second great promise and pour out the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is about to tell his disciples is what that's going to look like in their lives when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. So we're going to summarize these things. There's five things. There's five new things that Jesus says is going to happen as a result of having the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Five new things, not revealed anywhere else in Scripture, only revealed right here. Now, what are these new things? Well, these are the new things about receiving the Spirit. Remember, receiving the Holy Spirit is ultimately about what? It's about receiving Him. It's not a force not a power it's a relationship it's about receiving jesus christ himself it's about the miracle the miracle of jesus christ coming to actually live inside of us through the holy spirit jesus says because that's going to be your new reality after i die and ascend to heaven i want to share with you some new things about what it means to live in christ now stop right here for just a moment before we get into this i feel like i need to address one thing um, for fear that if I don't address this, then you may miss the message, okay? Um, it's been commonly taught in our brotherhood, and this is the way that I was taught, this is the way that I heard it growing up, but it's been commonly taught in churches of Christ um, that chapters 13 through 17 does not apply to you and I, that it only applies to the apostles, and this goes along with the cessationist position that historically churches of Christ have taken. What is that position? It's this idea that God did pour out his Holy Spirit, but he only did it in the first century. And he primarily only did it with the twelve, right? And anybody that they laid their hands on. But then after that, the Holy Spirit just kind of goes away. He, he's still there. He's still the seal of your redemption, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't act. He doesn't do anything else whatsoever. I hope that by now with everything that we've talked about for the last several months as we've been going through this series on the Holy Spirit, I hope that by now you're seeing that that's not the case. That everything that we've been reading up until this point has been to prepare us for the new thing that God has been wanting to do with His people all the way since the beginning, which is to have a relationship with us and that let us all have this shared experience of being in the presence of God. It's all about presence. And so that's what we're reading right here. This is part of the fulfillment of those two Old Testament hopes that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is not just for the apostles, but it's for everybody. It's for all of God's people, as the prophet said in the Old Testament. And even here, right in the context of John chapters 13 through 17, I don't know how people miss this, um, but we've missed this for, for decades. Let me show you something that Jesus says. Remember, John 13 through 17 is one thought block. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus starts talking in John 13, and he doesn't stop until the end of chapter 17. All of this happens after they eat the Passover meal together. So all of these words have to do with the same event. Well, look at what Jesus says at the very end of chapter 17. He says, my prayer, everything that I've just said, is not for them alone. Now, to me, that's clear. 
Everything that I've just said in John 13 through 17, it's not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Well, folks, who is that? That's us. So in other words, what we're about to read in John's chapter, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 is not just for them. Jesus explicitly says it's also for you. Well, guess what? If it's for me, I want to know about it, don't you? Okay. John chapter 13 through 17, Jesus gives his disciples five new things that they can expect as the result of having the Holy Spirit come to live inside of them. And listen to what Jesus says at the very end. Or listen to what Jesus says. What are these new things? Let's look at the first one. Number one, he gives us a new commandment, a new commandment. I want you to listen to these words. Look at John 13, 34 through 35 up on the screen. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, in the same context, just Two chapters later, he talks about this new commandment also again. John 15, 12 through 17. He says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business, doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And here it says one more time, this is my command, love each other. Now, do you find it interesting that Jesus says, that the new commandment that I want to give to you, this new commandment is love one another. Do you find that interesting? Because is it, is it a new commandment? It's not, is it? Love one another, love God and love each other. I mean, that's, that's the root of the law. You could go back to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 8. It explicitly, it explicitly says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it's not new. But yet Jesus says it's new. So here's the question that we have to ask each other. What is it that's new about this new commandment that he's given us to love each other? He says to love each other the way I have loved you. Love each other the way I have loved you. See, it's a different kind of love, isn't it? See, before this time, you and I had to make the decision ourselves. How do I love someone else? But Jesus has come to give you the fullest picture there is to show you how to fulfill that commandment. Jesus says, I've given you a new commandment because I've given you a model now for you to, to pattern your life after. Love other people the way that I love other people. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 31, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So let me tell you something about this love that he's talking about. This love is not an emotion. Do you hear me? I think too often we mistake a Western understanding of love in churches and we think that we have to feel a certain way before we show love to someone. That is not the case. Jesus loved the Father. And because he loved the Father, he did obediently things for other people, right? Well, he says, you are to love each other like that. It's not that I love you because I necessarily have an, um, deep emotional good feelings with you, 
right? All the time. That's not going to happen. But I, I do things and I serve you and I love you. Why? Because I love Jesus so much. I do it because I love him, right? He's the motivation. He's the one that gives us the strength. He's the one that shows us how to love. So Jesus expressed his love to the Father by what? By committed obedience to his will. Even to the point of death, Jesus showed love through obedience. So what's the point? The disciples are to reflect that very same kind of love themselves. And when Jesus comes to live inside of you and me, that's what he's working to do in you. The, the, the power of that Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, he's trying to produce on the inside of you the same thing that was inside of him, a desire to love the Father so much that you love other people through committed obedience. And don't forget the example that Jesus got through showing them right before the Passover meal. What was the example? Right before he says these words, when he washed the disciples' feet, he says, love one another just as I have loved you. Listen, when Jesus said those words, no doubt in their mind, they're thinking about what just happened with the washing of the feet. Right? So when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, Jesus has made it so clear how to do that. Through committed obedience to the Father, we serve and self-sacrifice to show love for each other. And so in order to, to love one another as Jesus did, the Holy Spirit moves us in order to be obedient to Him. And we show our love to Jesus by loving and serving others and sacrificing ourselves. Our time, our money, our resources, our emotions. We sacrifice ourselves for the brethren. Many years later, when John became an old man, he wrote a couple of letters. He wrote three. One letter he wrote to a group of Christians. Another letter he wrote to uh, a woman he called a lady chosen by God. I think it's probably Mary, the mother of Jesus. Remember, he was the one that was put in charge of taking care of her at the crucifixion. But he writes these letters. And a couple of things I want to I share with you about these letters. What's amazing is, is that even after all these years... John is still teaching Christians the same things that Jesus taught him. He's still making an appeal to John chapters 13 through 17. The things that he records there are the very same things you see John as an old man still teaching and still doing much, much later. I want you to look at this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. And here's another reason why I know that what he says in John 13 through 17 is not for the apostles only but it's for you and me too. How do I know? Look at what John says in his first letter. He says to them, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. What's the anointing? That's the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of you, isn't it? So he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to the 12 here. He's talking to other Christians. You have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Why? Because the truth is living inside of you. The truth testifies as to what is true because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 26 to 27, a few verses later. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. But as for you, the anointing that you received from Him remains in you. And you don't need anybody to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. See, all of that comes 
out of John chapters 13 through 17. And what is that anointing? It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. And see, this is, again, yet another proof that this is not just for the apostles alone. This is for you and me. So do you have the anointing of God? Yes, you do. You have an anointing inside of you. That is part of the Shekinah glory. Remember, you are the, Holy, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, guys. That's where this language comes from. Don't, don't, don't think that you don't have the power of God living inside of you. Nine times out of ten, we don't know the kind of power that we have living inside of us because we've never even considered these things before, many of us. Every single one of us individually are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Collectively, together, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? Just like the Shekinah glory resided in the temple of Solomon, so too now you have a portion of that Shekinah glory living inside of you. And remember in John 13 through 17, he said one of the things that the Spirit's going to do, he's going to bring to remembrance things that I've said to you. The Spirit is going to teach you. What did John say twice to them? He says, you know what? In reality, you really don't need me to say this to you because deep down inside, you already know. (laughs) Right? Because you know because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now, listen to what John says to these Christians in these two letters. Four times, four times, John teaches the very same thing to them that Jesus taught to him in John 13 through 17. Look at this. 1 John chapter 3, 10 through 11. This is how we know who are the children of who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anybody who does not do what is right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Look at verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. When did he hear that message? John 13 through 17 keep going and this is his commandment to believe in the name of his son jesus christ and to love one another as he commanded us the one who keeps god's commands lives in him and he in them and this is how we know that he lives in us we know it by the spirit that he gave us look at this one verse seven dear friends let us love one another for love comes from where See, it's not the love that you have on the inside of you. It's not based on emotion. It's a supernatural love that comes inside of you that enables you to live like this, okay? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then this last one here. 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So what am I trying to say, guys? When you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, Jesus is right there with you. And what Jesus is calling every single one of us to do is to have a real, relevant and revolutionary relationship with him. He wants you to have a real relationship with him. It is not a force. It is not a presence. It is really him inside of you that is guiding you. Understand this, church. This isn't some kind of verbal affection that we're talking about here. This isn't showing up on Sunday morning, shaking somebody's hand, saying, hi, how you doing? Fine, I'm good. How are you? I love you, you know. What Jesus is calling us to as his followers is to show a quality of love for each other that is unparalleled in the world around us. I mean, listen, we're the community of God. I mean, we're supposed to be different, right? 
Collectively, again, like we said a moment ago, we are the temple of God. Well, listen to this. Jesus did not leave a shadow of doubt the love that he had for us. Well, guess what? We shouldn't leave a shadow of a doubt the love that we should have for each other. Not a moment. And other people, when they come in, when they see this community, when they see this group of Christians here, what do they need to see? They need to see a group of people that is radically showing love to each other. Just the same way that Jesus did. Why? Again, Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, by what? By this radical love, by this supernatural love, by, by them coming and seeing that, that, wow, this church isn't biting and devouring one another. This church ain't full of hypocrites. I see people that are actually trying to live the way that God has taught them to live. I see people that are loving and accepting. When they see a real community of faith, a supernatural love, Jesus says, by that, they'll know that you are my disciples. Let me tell you something, nothing so astonishes a broken, shattered world more than to see a community of love from real people. You can get into communities all over the place, man. Get on Facebook, you'll find a million of them. You can find groups of like-minded people for all kinds of things. I, I belong to a group on Facebook for DeLoreans. Man, I love DeLoreans, you know? And whenever I'm talking DeLoreans with somebody, I can have fellowship with them, right? Uh, some of you love cats. Some of you love dogs. Some of you love to crochet. Some of you love to, to do other things. You can find groups of people. Politics, man, don't get me started there. But we can all get in groups of people and have like-mindedness. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus is calling broken people from different backgrounds, different races, different colors, different beliefs, different kinds of things. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to bring them together as one. And the unity is going to be based upon my holy presence living inside of them. This kind of love is only shared through the experience of the anointing. It only comes through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I think that it is a theological travesty what we've done in our churches by putting the Holy Spirit out and saying that He only acted in the first century. Because if the Holy Spirit is the supernatural basis where love and unity can take place and you remove that, then what do you have? Splitting broken churches that are powerless. I don't want us to be that way. So we're going to do an invitation. And I'm going to ask the elders, you can go ahead and get up if you would, please, and, and come to the side. I'm going to offer a little different invitation this morning. Now listen, if you need to respond to, to, be, to be saved, to be baptized, the water's ready. It's nice and warm. We can do that this morning. But I'm going to offer a second type of invitation this morning, and that is simply this. Jesus says, if a son asks for a fish, will the, will the father give him a stone? And if a son asks for bread, would the father give him a scorpion? Hey, fathers, what would you say? No. Jesus says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, this is the Gospel of Luke, will the, will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Do you want more love, joy? Do you want more peace, patience? Do you want more kindness, goodness, faithfulness like Tiffany's been talking about? Do you want more gentleness? Do you want more self-control in your life? Then you need more Jesus. You need more of his presence. You need to ask for more of the reality of his Holy Spirit in your life. So if you need that, then come forward as we stand and sing.